You guys can grab a seat, head off to your classes. Five years ago today, um, it was the beginning of Revolution 22 on Super Bowl Sunday. So we are five years old today. That's awesome. Praise God for that. Yeah, praise God for that. It's awesome. It's all glory to him. I, don't, I can't tell you who was playing in the Super Bowl, but it's obvious like certain teams were there like Oakland or Dolphins or, you know, some of the teams that never make it. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I had to do that. No, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic to be here. It's fantastic that God has taken us over five years. Um, I pray that he continues to lead us in the next five years. And uh, as we dig into the word today, I just want to remind you a couple things. First off, if you don't have your Bibles, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. If you, if you want to, you're welcome to look on your, your phone or, or your iPad or whatever else you have that's electronic with you. But uh, we, we, have be, we began the, kind of this chapter four at the beginning of the year. And I challenged you guys at the beginning of the year saying that this is a year that God is going to, to move on us to bring about maturity. He, he's going to challenge us in, in areas and ways. And, and the year before it was authenticity. And I said, okay, well, we can be extremely authentic, but not mature. And God wants, wants to mature us. He wants to take us on a continued maturing journey where as we grow further, whether you've been following the Lord for a year or for, for two, three, four decades, God wants to continue to mature you and he's going to push on you. I also shared last week, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't heard it. Um, this section of scripture, all this chapter four and kind of into chapter five is, is a very difficult section of scripture. It, it, it's, it's, it's really, really confronting and difficult for us to, to to, to interact with. And, and I struggle with that because all scholars said that this letter was meant to be just a gentle encouragement to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. But as I shared last week, I challenged us saying that if we struggle to submit or surrender ourselves to the scripture, then this is one of those, those talks that's going to be kind of abrasive to us. And my, my challenge, my encouragement would be that you wouldn't shrink back or run from that I didn't want anyone to leave questioning their salvation, but I thought, like I said last week, that we should be funneling through the scriptures into where we are, whether or not we fully understand or grasp Jesus as Lord and Savior and the scriptures as fully, fully something we should be submitted to. Submitted to, excuse me. And so we get into this section of, of four, and really all of four, the rest of four and, and a good chunk of five does these these kind of parallels, these, these, these statements where we see a, both a, a negative self and a, and, a, and, a, and a new kind of positive light. And he's, he's using the verbiage that we talked about last week when I had that ugly sweater on. It's, it's the old self and the new self. And talking about how, how here's what the old self is to look like, or here's what the old self looks like, but here's what we're to be in the new self. And so he's just kind of working through that. And all of this section of scripture kind of ties in every single different way. Here's the, here's the negative light of that, and here's the positive of that. Here's what the old self would look like, but here's what the new self is to look like. And so it's this continued challenge through scripture. So we're going to read all of it and then dig in because we have a lot of ground to cover today. Um, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of, our, of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So as you hear that section, I want a show of hands, who thinks that they got this section down? It's easy, right? <laughs> That's pretty much how I feel too. That's great. Um, 
this is a really, really difficult section. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on us a little bit today. But again, my, my, my hope and my, my encouragement would be that you wouldn't let me get in the way of what God wants to hear, but that if the Spirit starts convicting you, that you would, you would, you would sit in that moment of uncomfortableness and not run to, to shame or guilt like we established last week. God is not a God of guilt and shame. But the Holy Spirit will convict us of ways in which our life does not bring or, or model or show holiness. Again, the beginning of four talked about how we are, to, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We can't walk as you go. We can't live our life in a worthy, worthy manner if we aren't seated with Christ like we learned in the first three chapters. We never leave that position. We are seated with Christ and it's out of that seating that we are able to, as we go, be walking in a manner worthy of our calling. So let's dig in right now. He starts off with the first kind of polar opposites that, that play in. The first pairing is, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, one body. And so he, he hits this section of, of truth, and he says, he says specifically, stop lying. Okay, that's what he's telling you. He's saying, he's saying, take off. The same language is in place. Put off. Put off the deceitfulness, the lies that are away. Take those off. Now, let me ask you this question. H- how many of us, on a, on a daily basis, lie? Cheating in school. We got income taxes coming. Are you tilting it a little bit so you get a little bit more of a write-off? That donation you made, did you round up a little bit to try and get a little bit? That's considered lying. Flattery is lying. Exaggeration is lying. Making excuses are all forms of lies. And the Apostle Paul is saying that we are to put off the falseness in our lives. We are to take off this deceitful way. And his, his inverse to this, the opposite says that we are to speak the truth to one another. What's so unique about this is Paul could have based his appeal not to lie and to tell the truth on the very nature of who God is. God is truth. He said in John and in 1 Thessalonians. He could, have, he could have based it on the fact that Christ is truth. Ephesians 4 or John 14. However, here he, he has them consider this, why do we not lie and, and, and tell the truth? Why are we to speak the truth? Because we're one body. His very plea for telling the truth is because you are one with another. You're one body in Christ, and therefore deceitfulness and lying does not belong in this. How about, how, how about in your marriages? It's just a little fib. Maybe in your finances with your spouse. That's one that people really struggle with. Continuing to lie. You know, you tell a story from your olden days, you know, the good old days when I used to do this, and you kind of keep exaggerating. That is lying. And the Apostle Paul says that is, that is a characteristic. That is a characteristic of the old self. That is the ugly sweater that you are wearing. That is the lice-filled closet like we're talking about. That is what you're putting on when you lie. And it doesn't, he doesn't, in none of these, you have to hear this. He does not just say, don't do, don't do, don't do, as some behavior modification. He says, this is what falseness looks like. This is what old self looks like. And then he gives you the mere opposite. and says, this is what the new self is to be. This is who you are in Christ. Speak the truth to one another. Now, I realize that this, is, this may bring about some issues in some of your lives. Right now, you're like, oh, I totally lied about this, or I lied to get this job, or I lied, I lied about my income, or I lied in this way. And there are, there are natural consequences that may come from bringing the truth. It still doesn't mean that we don't go to truth. I also think it's worth saying this, um, that truth at, truth at any cost, not really taking into, taking into um, truthfulness, is not in conflict with confidence. That's what I was going to say. So there are times in which your relationships, like I don't take every single prayer request and come up here and read the name of the person and what they said next week. That would be ruining or, or not taking confidence seriously. Even though it's truthful, doesn't mean it's always right to speak. There are a lot of things you could say to someone, wow, you're really ugly today. That's, I mean, that may be truth to you, but it's not a, 
a polite way to go about it. So you can't just bear the mask of truth and say whatever you feel like. At the same time, though, at the same time, we are called to be honest and truthful. Even if when we share the truth may bring some hard consequences to our life, we're called to be honest. And what's hard about this is that lying is one of those things that is so subtle and so easy for us to just kind of get in the mix of that we can get so, so, so far off. In fact, let me say it this way. Every other religion that does not preach Christ as the center, as the cornerstone, as the foundation of faith is a lie. Just, just because they do good things or they have some aspects that you can probably understand, well, here's some general wisdom or knowledge or truth. If it's not Christ as center, as the truth, it is a lie. How subtle that is. There are so many other religions that are doing great things. Just enough off the truth. Satan is, is, Satan is, is called in the scriptures the father of lies. Those that, that are under him are called sons of disobedience, children of disobedience. We are children of God. Old self lies. New self tells the truth. We speak the truth in love to one another. This is all of this section, all this scripture, by the way, even though Colossians has a mere um, scripture with this, this is actually kind of attributed to fellow believers, not just people outside of the church, although it's true that we need to be honest with those outside of the church as well. But he's speaking specifically to us as, as members of one body. So where are you lying? Where have you been fibbing? Some of you, you've built a life on lie after lie after lie that you're so afraid. You don't even know which way the truth is. That's the old self. The, the slight little white lies that seems harmless is not the standard of the new self. The Apostle Paul says, no, no, no. A man worthy, worthy of the calling is not deceitful. It's not a lie. It's truth. Toothmist does not demand telling everyone everything we know with no regard for its impact. I said that again, but I just want to make sure that's clear because I feel like a lot of us, well, it was true, so I had to say it, and we disregard how it may be impacted. Now, the inverse to that, sometimes we're afraid to speak the truth because we know it might be hard to hear. You, you just don't see that in the scriptures. You don't see Jesus softening a blow. Now, Jesus was the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. We struggle with that, but we're not supposed to be lying. The old self is the deceitful way. The new self is the truth. Moving on, because that was easy enough for us to, to stomach, right? He goes on to anger. And he talks about this anger. He says, he says be angry, but, but do not sin in your anger. And kind of the inverse to that is that don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, some, some scholars want to say that this, this is a, an excuse for us. This is like a command to be angry. Actually, the better way to say that in the Greek is, in your anger, do not sin. So he's acknowledging that anger will happen. And we do see a couple different versions of anger in the New Testament alone. We see a righteous anger and we see a very unrighteous anger. But, but before we go to that, like, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Have any of you ever felt like, man, I have just been really angry and not sinned? Like show of hands, whoever's felt like they've done that? Yeah, me neither, right? <laughs> I feel like I'm like, okay, if there's a way for me to be angry and not sin, I just don't know what it looks like. Well, fortunately, we have a biblical example of it. It's in God. In Christ. In fact, what he's acknowledging is that anger is an emotion that we will have. To just assume that you won't have anger is, is, is a lie. It's ridiculous. You're, you're trying to tell yourself not to feel something. God created those feelings, but it's what we do with that feeling. It's the heart behind that feeling that changes. The, uh, the only way in which I believe that a believer can actually have righteous anger is by the moment the anger comes, releasing it to God. And the way I mean releasing it to God, I have seen some very horrible injustices in this world, some disgusting things that, that affect really, really, really innocent and, and, and little-powered people. 
and it is infuriating in me. But it is not honoring to God for me to, to, to sit in that anger. Instead, it's, God, this is not right. Would you do something? How can I pray for this individual? It's putting the vengeance, getting out of the way of God's vengeance, allowing him to do his justice because he is a just God. Righteous anger would be us getting rid of it. In fact, one of the counselors I saw talked about how, how all of our feelings are, are meant to be short-term. Like the feelings we have, sadness and, 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 and anger, they're, they're meant to identify something in us and move on. So like, kind of like an infant, you know, they're screaming angry and you pick them up and they're happy. And it's like, oh, that was, that was easy. In essence, they were saying that this is, this is kind of how emotions are supposed to happen, but we attach those emotions to certain individuals or certain things or certain memories, and then we just carry those emotions for a very, very long time. Uh, anger is one of those ones, guys, that we are just full of. Because let's be honest, most of us, if I said righteous anger, most of us are even trying to think of an instance where we could experience righteous anger. Most of our anger is that dude won't drive any faster. That person cut in line. This X was rude to me. This whatever it is. Like we, we have many, many other things to bring about anger that have no righteousness in them at all. And, and, G, and the Apostle Paul is telling us to not sin in this anger. He's saying, in your anger, don't sin. In fact, you know what he says? He says, don't let the sun go down in anger. That was a very common understanding to every Jewish individual in this time. They knew that, okay, well, this is, a, this is a teaching that comes out of the Torah back in the Old Testament. If you work for someone, they have to pay your wages before the sun goes down. You, you settle all accounts on the day of. You don't wait a couple weeks and get on the 1st and 15th. You settle day of because they lived day of. This is how they got their food for the next day. You settle. If someone would um, make a, a deal with someone where they would say, okay, here's my cloak so that I honor it, that cloak had to be returned before the sun went down. This was a, a common understanding. Well, here, here's a question for you guys. How many of us have actually not ever let the sun go down on our anger? Let me, let me just push on you married couples for a second. How many times have you gone to bed angry? And you guise it as, you, you hide it behind some kind of, I just, it's just gonna be a hard conversation or I just, I don't know what to say. So you know what, forget it. Do not let the sun go down your anger. In fact, some of you right now, you're, you're carrying anger. And you know what's so unique about this is that the Apostle Paul not only gives us what the opposite is, but he tells us why not to carry our anger. Why? Because we'll give room for the devil in our lives. We'll give room for him to start playing with us. So when someone hurts you, and I, I bet right now that every single one of us have a, a handful of incredibly horrible wrongs that were done to us that we did not deserve, but if we are carrying anger in that, then we are sinning. And the only thing that anger is doing for us is giving that person or that individual control over us. You're not, you're not meant to be angry. In fact, some of you, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, some of you need to leave today before the Super Bowl kickoff even happens, and you need to pick up a phone, and you need to call someone, you need to be reconciled. Well, I will when they do. It's like, no, 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 no. No, it's your anger that has to be dealt with. If your anger, we'll see in a second, if anger isn't dealt with, it festers to a lot of other things. But ultimately what the Apostle Paul says is that when we carry anger, it is such a, such a tight rope, we give room for the enemy in our life. We give room for, the, for, the, for Satan to start pulling on us and, and, and dictating our words and teasing us and tra- tricking us and, and lying to us in different ways. We give room for the enemy to have opportunities in our lives. It's interesting that Satan's not actually credited with producing the anger. The source is us. But anger can give the devil the opportunity to cause strife within the life of an individual and the community. And this, this, is, this is the point. Like, your anger does not produce righteousness. So you, you, are, you are called to be ridding yourself of that. 
Like it doesn't, like I said, I, I want to say this really clearly. You may have very good reasons to be angry. Like what was done to some of you, I'm sure, is, is, is atrocious and it's wrong. And when you, when you say, I'm, I'm choosing not to be angry in this moment, when you give that up, you're not saying that that was nothing and it didn't matter. No, you're giving it to God. You're taking away the control and saying, God, it is your control. In fact, it, uh, teaching, a lot of counselors will teach that anger is even a secondary emotion. It's something that comes out of a deeper issue, hurt, pain, sadness. Anger is, is so tricky and so dangerous and so ugly. He then goes on. I'm going to move through these kind of quickly. Sorry, guys. They're all really easy to hear, right? He says, he says, he talks about stealing. Now, scholars are in disagreement. We don't necessarily understand or know from history if there was a lot of kleptomaniacs in, in Ephesus at this time. We aren't sure if it was just common, but stealing was something that would happen a lot. When people don't have, they, they steal to get what they can. And so he, he does his, his, his opposites here. He says, we shouldn't, we shouldn't steal. No longer be a thief, but instead an honest work, an honest good work. In fact, the word that used for this is actually carries with it the sense of laboring, laboring to a point of weariness. He says, no, 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 don't steal anymore. Instead, labor to a point of weariness or exhaustion. Work hard. Work really hard. Stop stealing. Well, a lot of us are like, well, I don't steal from the store. Tax evasion is considered stealing. Custom dodges. It's robbing the government of their dues. An employer who oppresses their workers, and employees who give poor service or cut short time at work. Like, I, I get it. I, I want to say this because I'm going to pick on your college students a little bit. Like, you're getting through college, so sometimes you just have to take that job. You're like, I really don't want to do this the rest of my life. Like, I have no desire to be here, but I need a job. And so you do it. Well, doing that job poorly is, is an affront to what God calls you to do. And, and let me just say this, guys. Like, this is for everyone. If you're looking to find your meaning and value in life by what you do in work, you're going to be left just empty. Our, our meaning and our value is found in Christ. What we do is an honor to do for him and for his purposes. And we can, we can, we can make anything we do bring glory and honor. We can, we can get out of the way so that it brings glory and honor to God. Or we can just say, well, this is a lame job right now, so I'm just going to do nothing. I'm not going to work hard. And here's what's crazy about the scripture. Again, Apostle Paul just kind of sneaks these in. He gives us a reason to work hard. Well, what is that reason? It's not so that you can make good money and, and cover yourself and have a 401k and have retirement. No, it's so that the needs of others can be met. Isn't that interesting? He's not telling you to work hard so you can provide a bigger house and more stuff for you. He's saying so that, that others' needs can be met, so that, that no one without need. This is, again, he's, he's pointing you back to stop thinking so individually. He's saying, no, oh, look, look, there's, there's people around you that have need, and you are, to, you are to meet those needs. You are to work hard, sometimes to exhaustion. Some of your college students are like, I feel that. You know, I'm school, work, moms are at home, like, I'm exhausted. Like, what am I doing here, right? You're supposed to do that so that you can meet the needs of others, which seems counterintuitive, right? I'm already exhausted. Why would I do more for others? Well, that's why we work, and we don't steal. I also think it's worth saying to me right now, like, it's his tax season. I'm going to be really clear. If you, you're like, ah, that donation was, I'll call it an extra couple hundred bucks to get a little bit more of a slough. I'm like, that's stealing. Ah, it's okay. Everyone does it. No, no, no. That's, that's stealing. That's not an honest work. That's not a good, honest work. That is the old self. You are a part of the new self. You aren't wearing that gross sweater anymore. You've been clothed in righteousness, in the likeness of God. You're his image bearer. Walk in the newness of life. No one may live to himself alone and neglect others. All must devote themselves to supplying others' necessities. Man, we just understood that a little bit. 
Think about the work that could be done for his purposes in his kingdom around the world. Okay, moving on. <laughs> he goes on to the next one, which is, <laughs> we talked about this one at the men's breakfast on Thursday. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. It's a fun one, actually. He says, he says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth or corrupt or filthy, depending upon the version of the Bible you're reading. And he says, but instead, instead of unwholesome or, unfil- or filthy talk, what you speak should build up and bring grace to others. Okay, so there was a lot of discussion on what, what, what this really is. What is a filthy? So let me just define it. So this word that, that here that we're seeing right now was um, used kind of for rotten or putrid. It was used to refer to rotted wood, diseased lungs, rancid fish, withered flowers, or rotten fruit. And essentially what this word means is that whatever has been unwholesome or whatever has been brought to that spot brings no value. There is no good value. There's no way it will nourish you. Unwholesome words should be a repulsive, as repulsive to us as rotten apple or spoiled meat. You know, the image of rottenness, this is what's interesting. The Apostle Paul is using, what he's trying to say here is he's hoping that when unwholesome or filthy words come out, we have a sort of gag reflex to them. Like we, when, we, when we experience unwholesomeness or, un, or filthy words, we go, oh, like we just want, we want to throw up. That's the idea. That's the image behind this. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, let me, let me push on this because we've, at the men's breakfast, we had a lot of conversation about, well, so is every curse word unwholesome? Or how do, what, I mean, what, what are the things that you can or can't do? And we kind of wrestled through that for quite some time. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is that for us to have unwholesome language, for us to understand what unwholesome language looks like, is essentially anything we're saying isn't bringing healing or building up the other individual. It's unwholesome. And look, I, I, I get it. We're downtown. I don't necessarily feel I am, but we're, you know, people say we're kind of hipster in some ways, right? I blame you college students for that, but um, like, there's, this, there's this movement among believers that feel like they can just, because of the freedom they have in Christ, say whatever they want, and it's ugly. If you just take the picture of new self and old self, shouldn't we, shouldn't we sound different than the way we did before Christ? Shouldn't the words that we use to explain whether they're adjectives or nouns or anything, shouldn't those be different? from an old self to a new self, and maybe there'll be some crossover. I was talking with my mentor this week because I was wrestling with this, like what specific is unwholesome? Can you say a cuss word? Or if there's not a sentence around it, is it really still a bad thing? And we were just kind of talking through it. And one of the things he said to me was really interesting. He said, he said, you know what's funny is if you think about it, if you were gonna go to a job interview, or if you were going to meet someone that you've actually never met before, but you need to, like you need to impress them. You would dress nice, you would figure out your way, you kind of, you kind of, Figure out the best way to present yourself to him. Or even better yet, if you were to sit down with your hero and you got a chance to be with hero, you're like, you're excited and nervous to meet this person. You would literally think about every word you said before you said it. And then afterwards, you'd probably play through. Did I say it right or not? Some of you do that with every conversation. You just need to let that go, okay? <laughs> but, but ultimately, you would really be intentional about what you said. And, and what he was telling me is, he was like, look, this is the thing, and I get it, it's kind of cheesy, but, but ultimately, Jesus Christ is always present with us. I mean, always present with us. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. And we, instead, this happens to me as a pastor. If I ever meet anyone, I try and ask as many questions as I can to keep them talking so they can experience some form of normalcy so that when they ask, hey, what do you do? And I tell them I work at a church, it doesn't just end the conversation, right? So, so they'll sit there and talk, and I've done this a hundred times. Jen and I have met people, and they'll sit there and talk, and maybe they're, they're, they're speaking like, 
I mean, they're just saying whatever they want to say, and they're dropping cuss words everywhere. It's, just, it's like, okay, whatever, that's fine. And, and then when they get to the spot where they're like, so what do you do for a living? It's like, I work for a church. And they're like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, they always apologize to me as if they, like, have done something to me. And it's like, no, it's, it's okay, it's fine. But it's, it's, it's interesting how even Christians do this to me. Even, even, even people in this church have done this to me. They'll say something, they're like, oh, sorry, Brent, which... I'm thankful that they're acknowledging that they shouldn't say it, but it's not just because I'm a pastor, but as a fellow believer, we should be interacting with each other that way. He doesn't say let some unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He says no, and let me, let me push really hard for a second. Just because you don't say it and you type it, it still can be unwholesome talk. And some of you guys, like I'm gonna say this right now, the way that we interact with each other on internet or social media is gross. Talk about a gag reflex. There is no building up. I don't care how passionate you are about which political party or what cause that seems to be for God and what you're doing. We fight and fight and fight. There is no building up happening there. It is, it is disgusting. In fact, you know, studies have shown, this is crazy. They have science to prove that when we type something, the little piece in our brain that keeps us filtered is not active. That seems like a recipe for disaster. Let's type more, huh? What are we doing why do we justify to just tear people down because they're not standing in front of us? Some of you, you do this when they're standing in front of you. It's, it's just, they're all the same issue. He says, let no unwholesome talk. Look, look, I get it. Sometimes you're passionate and you still want to speak truth and you want to share those things. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if it doesn't build up, it's sinful and it's old self. And that's what the scriptures are saying. Old self, new self. If you're guising this, I've got this freedom so I can talk however I want, or you know what? Actually, at the men's breakfast, one of the guys there said, I totally was hanging out with a bunch of coworkers, and I said something that was like, right after I said it, I was like, oh, man, that was not right. I shouldn't have said it. And every other person in the, in the vehicle started laughing, and they thought it was awesome. And then some of, one of the other guys says to him in that setting, he's like, well, me, like a lot of times I've found that sometimes I, I worry more about what other people think as opposed to what God thinks. And I, I dare I say that most of us speak the way we do because we're trying to impress people that don't really matter all the while forsaking a God who loves you and created you and gave you a new self. Let no unwholesome talk. Could, you know what? I'm, I challenge first service, so I'm just going to extend it into you. I challenge you, not for a week, not for just a day, but for the rest of your life to stop typing garbage and unwholesome talk. Could you imagine what would happen? Could you imagine if just a people, if we just said, you know what? That's it. Because of who I am in Christ, I am not going to let this unwholesome tearing down, destroying of people happen anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop that. The Spirit of God is going to give me the strength, and I'm going to have to type it and email it to myself just so I can feel vindicated and then delete it. Stop. I challenge you. Stop. doesn't mean you can't be passionate. Look, there's lots of passion that happens, but when you have passion, as Jonathan said, passion without the Scripture, or passion without being submitted to Christ, and His Word is just activism. And activism doesn't pr promote truth. It can be an agent of change. Things can happen, but if it's not saturated in scripture, it's not building up. And then let me just let me just say this, like, okay, you know what? The Apostle Paul probably isn't speaking specifically about cuss words that we would identify today, but everything you say, does it build up? I found a lot of my Christianese words, when it comes out of my four-year-old or two-year-old's mouth, sound a lot worse. Like, ooh, that's what that sounds like? Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Let no unwholesome talk. Only that which builds up. And then the Apostle Paul kind of takes a side turn from the, the pairings, and he hits verse 30, 31, talking about the Holy Spirit. And I, I gotta be honest with you, the first time I was studying this, um, 
actually last week, was this is the first time I ever actually put thought to this statement, and it kind of, it kind of brought about some sadness in me. He says, he, says that, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which tells us a couple things. That statement can tell us a couple things about the Holy Spirit. First off, that the Holy Spirit isn't just some weird ghost thing, but he is a person. Okay, so the, he, he is a person, a part of God. He's a part of the Trinity. We know that. But the, the Holy Spirit is a real, real, real being, okay? The second thing we can know is that our actions can actually grieve him. And I had this thought. It was interesting. I was, I was talking with a friend. I had this thought. I was like, wow, I've never really put into thought. Just today, just this week, how many times my actions would have grieved him? Well, how, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me talk about that for a second. There's a couple ways we do. He's the Holy Spirit, so he's, he's, he's always grieved by unholiness. And since he's one spirit, we just learned about this in chapter three, he's one spirit working together, he's grieved by disunity. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we seek disunity. When we tear the oneness of him, that grieves him. He's grieved also by anything that's incompatible with the purity and unity of the church or his own nature, and therefore it hurts him. He's a spirit of truth through whom God has spoken, so he's upset by all misuse of speech. So when we sin, when we choose to, to, to live out of the old life, whether it's stealing or speaking or lying, whatever it is, we, we cause grief for him. And I had this moment, I'm not gonna lie, I had this moment where I was kind of like, whoa, like just in this room alone, I bet if I said show of hands, who feels like something they did yesterday grieved the Holy Spirit? I bet most of us would raise their hands. The rest of us are lying, so we're doing it internally, right? And we say, okay, so we, and then I started thinking, I was like, well, every every person, that's a lot of grief for him to feel. And it made me understand two things. One is it doesn't bring us to shame. Well, how dare you cause grief to the Holy Spirit? Well, because honestly, the Apostle John tells us that we will continue to sin. We will struggle. We will wrestle with this. Even the Apostle Paul tells us that our flesh is at battle with this new spirit in us. So it's not meant to to shame us or to bring about guilt, but instead, I think it, it adds a little bit more weight to me when he says, when anything in Scripture says, do this, don't do that. Because ultimately what I'm seeing now is not only when I choose to not submit to scriptures does it affect my own life, but it also grieves the Holy Spirit. It affects him. And we'll learn this in, in Ephesians 6 in about a month. It affects every other believer in the community as well. So when you choose to, to use your unwholesome language out of some masked freedom that came in Christ, which trust me, there's all freedom in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That does not remove us from following him or being obedient to him. But when you, when you run from that, you grieve him, you cause a rift in the community of God, do you even consider that? Here's, here's the other thing that we can say with like at least hope is that the Holy Spirit is, is, is a part of God and is God, so he can handle that form of grief. But we also know that the Holy Spirit, that he will, he will, he will experience joy. He experiences joy when we remain in there. We also know that even when we're grieving him, he will comfort us. How crazy is that? It adds a little bit more weight to it. And as if this wasn't difficult enough, he goes on in, in verse 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I want to define these words real quickly because I think it, it makes it a little bit different for us. Bitterness is, is a sour spirit sour speech or it's embittered to resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. That's what bitterness is. Refusing to be reconciled. So for those of you that have been hurt by someone, it's like, well, I'll forgive them when they, that's, that's a bitter spirit. Um, wrath here denotes a passionate rage. Like a lot of us get passionate about times, but this is a rage that comes out of that passion. And that's a wrath. 
That's what it is. This anger is actually a different word of the anger that's used earlier in this text, but this anger says it denotes a, a sullen, kind of sullen hostility. Like I just think of like someone who's edgy, you know? Like, man, they're just bitey, and they're just, there's just hostility in them. And then he says clamor, someone who raises their voice or starts shouting and screaming. That's clamor. Slander is used most often in the New Testament, not by itself here. Usually it's used gossip and slander, one and the same. But slander is speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, defaming or even destroying reputation. This is a, an interesting one for us because I think a lot of us will guys or hide this one behind like the idea of, wow, we really need to pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what she did? Well, we should really pray for them. It's gossip. You can say, hey, my heart's broken for someone. They're struggling. Let's pray for them. Well, what'd they do? That doesn't matter. Let's pray for them. And then he says, malice. And malice is an ill will, wishing and plotting evil against people. And you know what he says about all these? Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Put them off. Take them off. Get rid of them. Don't, don't operate in that level. Stop making choices and decisions and speaking out of anger or wrath or slander. And instead, you know what he says? He says, be kind, tender-hearted. And he says, the, the, hardest, the hardest command, we see this over and over again. Jesus said it. John tells us it. And we see it right here from Apostle Paul. He says, forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us in Christ. Ouch. Because you know what that means? That means that we have to forgive everything. Because Christ did. He didn't say, well, I'll forgive you. But whoa, whoa, whoa. You did that a little too many times. And, you, you know, you're still going to struggle with this. I'm not sure I forgive you for that. No, he... He saturates his grace on us. He forgives us. So going back to that individual that maybe you're angry with, that individual you're struggling with or you're, you're wrestling with or you're mad at, you're still to forgive them, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Again, forgiving them does not remove the fact that hurt has been happened. It removes their right to control you. It removes the right for their life to keep speaking into your life in an ill way. Instead, you're freeing them and freeing yourself from that and putting it in God's hands. Could you just imagine... In your own life alone, if you forgave as Christ forgave, how different life would look. I understand this is hard, and I understand this is difficult to hear. Honestly, next week's a little bit better, but then the week after is going to be hard again. Here's, here's the reality. This new self was created in Christ. It's, it's upheld by the Spirit of God, and we just willingly submit to the Spirit in His words and what it looks like. So I don't know what it is for you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push a little bit and then we'll, we'll pray and stop. Whether it's anger or malice or, or deceitfulness or lies or, or stealing or what, whatever it is for you, when you look at this thing that God is just pushing on you right now, you have kind of one of two options. You can do option A, which is like, oh, that hurts. Or, you know, some of you are like, man, I got all these. Like every single one of these are in my face right now. Like I don't even know what to do. And you can run from it because that's what the enemy would tell you to do. You know what? Run from it. It's not, it's not you're never going to figure it out. Put that old rag back on because that new self wasn't really there. Or you can, you can step into it and say, okay, Holy Spirit, convict me. It hurts. It's painful, but I want to look more like the likeness I was created to be looking like. I want to be and act and live more like the Christ whom I say I believe in. And you can submit yourselves to that. And you can step in it. You can ask someone to walk with you in it. You can get into gospel community. You can put on your prayer card. Whatever it is. But my, my encouragement, my challenge is don't shrink back. Don't run. Don't let the enemy beat you down and say, see, see, told you you weren't good enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't good enough. Just, just give up. It's not going to happen. You will always be an angry person. You were always angry before. 
I refuse to believe that. That's a lie from the enemy. Because the new self that you've been created in, whom you were sealed with in the Holy Spirit, that's bringing you to redemption, has already created a person that can walk without carrying anger or unwholesome talk. You can actually be that person that God has already created you to be by just submitting yourself to him and his strength and his power. Don't believe the lies that you can't. So my, my challenge is, is that you would, you would not just hear this today and go, oh man, that hurt, I was convicted, and walk away going, good message, I was convicted. But that you would really let the Spirit do his work. That you wouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. Let me say that differently. That you wouldn't willingly grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. See, now you can't claim you don't know that. So when you speak unwholesomely, you can't say, well, I didn't know that that might grieve the Holy Spirit. Weird. I wasn't paying attention at that moment. You're accountable for it. Let me pray. Father, I, I come to you with um, a heavy heart knowing that this is a difficult set of scripture. I can only imagine how it, it's, it's stirring in the hearts of every individual here. And Lord, I pray that that's a stirring that brings about glory and honor to you. I pray that that's a stirring that, that brings about submission to you, Lord. God, would we be a people that truly surrender ourselves to your life, not just in, in what we say, God, but in how we live. Father, would you help us to, to walk in this newness of life that you created for us? Would you help us live in light of the new self and that the old self would just go away? God, I look, I look forward to hearing as you mature people, people looking back a year from now going, oh man, I remember, I remember when I thought that that was all I was capable of and God just redeemed and restored and reconciled and it is just so amazing what he's done. God, we pray that you do that. I have the individuals in here that maybe look at this list and go, man, I, I stink at all these. That acknowledgement is great, but God, I pray that they'd surrender that acknowledgement to you and walk in obedience with it, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't be people that just are impacted by your word, but that your word actually changes who we are from the inside out by your spirit working and not me, and not, not flesh. God, I pray for everyone in here. I pray that we would be a people that are marked by the newness of life. I pray that we would be imitators of God, which is the call in all this, Lord. And I pray wherever we fall short, God, we wouldn't run, hide, or minimize. We would instead call to light, repent, turn from it, Lord, and start walking in your step. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.